Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I have figured out why I like one and why I'm doing well in the format. Are you ready for this? I am ready. It's because I'm a rule follower at heart. I'm just a goody two-shoes, and I like having clear rules, and I like following those rules. And I will dovetail on that. As someone who does like to follow the rules as well in life, in Magic, a little less so, you just, like, you can't do anything else. Like, there is, and we'll talk about this a little (laughs) bit later, like, if there's not a thing, and I would love to do this, I would love to be like, yes, but if you open this rare or this whatever, then you should build this dirtily whatever kind of deck. No, that doesn't exist. And there's no world where that's even remotely correct, where I could cobble together some like 4-3 record with a deck and be like, see, you can do it. Like, no, you just have to follow the rules. And that's how you win. Like, I've never, I don't think we've ever been in a format that has felt so, so aggressive. I don't mean that as like fast. But I just mean, like, it's all aggro decks. Free spirits get dunked on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm also enjoying it. I'm surprised. I really took a turn from from week one of, like, I think this is, like, after the early access event, I was like, I don't know. But it's really, it's really grown on me. I enjoy it. And I do feel like, in terms of a, it's such a specific rules of engagement, but I've learned so much about aggro decks specifically from this format that I think I can take to future sets as well. Ooh, yeah, I love that. So it sounds like you've been enjoying one so far. Had a good week? Yeah, I've been mostly jamming sealed this week and haven't had a ton of time to play Magic. I've done maybe like six or seven sealed events um, to prep for some sealed chatting on the episode. Sealed significantly less good than draft from what I can tell. (laughs) But, but still, I think a little interesting, we've got quite a few things to talk about. And then we're going to dive into a topic that we've touched on a few weeks running now, but haven't really dove into, which is the, the secret gold cards that exist. And there's quite a few of them. And how you know the, the colors doing a very specific thing and the color pairs doing a very specific thing leads to cards really being much more contextual than raw power. So we're going to dive into that a little later after we get through our sealed thoughts and after we get through some housekeeping things. So let's get into that. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Chatted about this a little bit last week that we've got a string of high stakes limited events. This weekend was the uh, Mythic Championship qualifier. We had like the play-ins last weekend and this past Friday to get into those. Or you could just get in by being top 250 in Mythic and then get to get into some sealed action. I had what I thought was a pretty good pool. I mean, I didn't get to play any rares, but I had what looked like a pretty nice streamlined red-green aggro deck, like a draft deck I would have been happy with, but got you know solidly dunked on mostly by some variance issues going 0-2. And, and then turned on Numat the Nummy stream, and he just rattled off a Savage 7-0. He was like speed running the day one event with this really awesome red-white deck. So we got some, uh, some high-stakes events this weekend, and next weekend is the Arena Open, more importantly. Why am I talking about the Arena Open? Well, the Arena Open is a great time to get in on the Lords of Limited Discord. It's a fantastic community of like-minded limited individuals, and that's a place to go to uh, chat about, hey, what, what should my sealed pool be? Help me build this deck, whatever. You get to root people on for day two. It's awesome. A lot of great perks as you move up the reward tiers as well, and we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we are welcoming Taylor, Revan, Arena, Alex, Robert, and Chad. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by TCG Player. TCGplayer.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic-related on the internet. Want to shout out the TCG Player subscription for $6.99 a month. You get a bunch of sweet perks with that. 
free shipping and tracking on all your orders. So you should definitely be doing it if you're ordering any sealed product or anything like that from TCG Player. You get some extra bonus bucks, which is store credit back on your purchases, as well as access to the library of CFB Pro articles that me, you, and Alex, a bunch of other MTG pros are writing each and every week. So if you're going to do anything at TCGplayer.com, whether that's signing up for their subscription service or maybe purchasing some Frexia All Will Be One sealed product to tuck away for a draft with friends a few months from now, we would appreciate you using our affiliate link. You can get there by going to lordsoflimited.com slash TCGplayer or going to lordslimited.com, clicking on the support tab, and there's a link there as well. While you're at the website, you can stop and check out our tier lists, as well as order yourself some sweet Lords of Limited merch. Get mad. Get those mad t-shirts, baby. So, so good. All right, Ben, talk to me about your sealed thoughts from your week of investigation. Well, like I said, I don't think it's significantly different from draft, which I guess is good news if you've been drafting the format and are wanting to know what's up for the Arena Open. I think your draft preparation is actually going to help you a lot with the sealed. So it's a little bombier than draft, but there are a ton of functional, strong two-color decks as well, right? You know, we've talked about how archetypal this format is, and there are a lot of pools that just give you a blue-white artifacts deck, or give you a white-white equipment deck, or give you a white-black toxic corrupted deck. So those are actually the best and easiest pools to build. And I know you've been playing sealed some as well. Have you found that in your experience? Yeah, for sure. Bombier in the sense of, I think, just what you see on the other side of the battlefield, I think, just because, you know, cards like White Sun's Twilight or the Eternal Wanderer are going to pull people into those colors quite a lot. Um, and so you'll you'll end up seeing those on the battlefield. You know, if I see my opponent running planes and I'm not seeing anything super exciting on turns two, three, four, those cards are, are coming to the forefront for sure. But I, I haven't seen for myself a pool that hasn't either been able to string together a handful of really strong cards like that and then, you know, cobble together the rest of my playables or what you were talking about, that streamlined two-color deck. I haven't seen a like fully not functional pool, though I imagine they exist out there. And I think the sealed format is different from other sealed formats. We kind of alluded to this already, but you really largely still want to play by the rules of engagement of yes. draft. I mean, it's not necessarily quite as strict, but you really want to be playing a two drop in the format and you really want to be playing a three drop in the format. And you definitely, definitely, definitely need to have removal and interaction. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because, like I said, a lot of the pools that I've seen myself and that I've seen in the Discord exist within one of those two spectrums exist with like i'm just a streamlined two color deck that looks like a draft deck or i've got some bombs but so if you're doing neither of those things and certainly even if you are the bomby deck if you're not impacting the board in those early turns like don't think that this this idea of like it's sealed it's slower than draft you just have to throw that out the window. That is so old fashioned, I think. And this format really highlights that in particular. Yeah. And I would say making sure you have a relevant creature count and a relevant number of two drops is very important. But I would also say on the same you know, coin or the other side of that coin, playing bad and filler creatures <laughs> is really bad. Like if you're just mm -hmm. playing vanilla two twos or, you know, a three one or whatever to fill out your two drop slot, that's going to put you in bad shape because there are still like, again, similar to drafts. If both people play by the rules and get on board, the games do stall out and go long. And if you've made the game stall out and go long by playing cards that are then irrelevant in the late game, you're going to lose the late game. Well, and if those are you know your top decks in that late game, that's also terrible. Like ideally, your cards all do the things that you want them to do right there. They don't need synergy to be functional. They're buoyed by synergy, but you don't need the synergy to be functional. And they're not dead. <laughs> 
later on, right? Canker Bloom is great on turn two, but also going to be great on turn 10. You know, there's going to be something you can blow up with it. There's going to be proliferate that maybe matters, whatever. Right. The difference between Canker Bloom in your two drop slot and Branch Blight Stalker, the one in a green yeah. three one with Toxic two is just gigantic and sealed, in my opinion. And the other thing I would say is the catch-all removal becomes way more important and sealed than it is in draft. So for example, planar disruption, the one in a white pacifism effect, or the arrest effect, I guess, for creatures, artifacts, and planeswalkers, that is huge because there are going to be planeswalkers running around and sealed a lot more than in draft as well. Annihilating glare also goes way up. That's the single black. And then you can either sacrifice a creature and artifact to keep it single black, or you can pay an extra four mana to destroy a creature or planeswalker. Anoint with Affliction, the one in a black, exile mana value three or less, or exile anything if your opponent's corrupted. All three of those cards are good in draft, but like significantly better in sealed. Like actively wanting to splash for planar disruption, I think, if you don't have other good interaction in your pool. I agree with that for sure. And and color imbalance is uh, something that people often ask about and I don't think is really, you know, interesting or relevant to put your focus on. Like, the, the imbalance that we feel in draft, which I will say feels to have shaken out a little bit, like black feels way more open these this past week, I would say, than it had uh, at the start of the format. But the, the color imbalance or ranking the colors for sealed, that's not that important. Like you just want to play your best stuff. Like I think black gets better in sealed because of its good removal. And I think blue gets worse in sealed slightly because it's fussy, but you can still have a good blue, red, blue, white deck in sealed. Yes, completely agree with all that. And again, we've talked about this, but your ideal sealed pool has a really good curve without forcing you to play cards that are dead later. It's so, so, so important to not have dead draws in your deck late in the game because the games go, they're compact, but they do get to the late game if both people are playing cards early on. And I think if you don't get one of those draft deck pools where, you know, you're just jamming white red or you're drafting white black and you've got I say drafting. That's what it this really does what it feels like. This is the <laughs> sealed format where I've, I've just had pools that like look like good draft decks. And maybe I've just know. been getting really lucky, but I've also been playing against pools that are yeah. essentially good draft decks. Yeah. And it, it sort of shifts your mentality because usually when you see those decks, you feel like you win the lottery, right? You're like, oh my God, my sealed deck looks like a good draft deck. But everybody's kind of does in this weird way, which is like, so then it's just like, you're not special. This doesn't matter. This isn't the thing. Like, you're not going to necessarily just run the tables with that kind of deck because you're likely to face those kinds of decks, too. Yeah. And I I will say, if you don't get something that's super streamlined, you can't do the sealed thing and say, well, I'm just going to play all my good cards because you're just going to get randomly run over by good pools, like red pools that curve out and play chimney rabble into furnace strider are just going to like eat your lunch and take your lunch money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's talk about splashing, because I think this is the biggest difference between sealed and draft. In draft, I am actively hoping to not splash, maybe, 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 maybe a light splash for something that's really worth it. In sealed, I think it's, it's a bit more open in that area. Would you agree? Yeah, you can. I think you're hoping not to in sealed, but if you get the fixing, you certainly can. Yeah, I saw a lot of good pools on Twitter the past few days of decks with these cards you're alluding to, Terramorphic Expanse being the best fixing, Dune Mover being really, really great in Sealed. We'll talk about it uh, in Draft as well in a little bit. Um, Prophetic Prism as a necessary evil, but like, you know, I've definitely saw a lot of like, 
not quite splashing to the extent of five colors, but perhaps being a true three color deck with, you know, a couple Dune Movers, a Prism and an Expanse and then doing something like a, a six, six, five mana base. Yeah, that's certainly all very doable. And Frexian Atlas, the three mana mana rock is playable, but you really, if you're playing that card, want either good fives to ramp into or ways to make up the card disadvantage from Phyrexian Atlas essentially being a blank later in the game. Right, yeah. And the types of cards you should be looking to splash, again, those catch-all removal spells like your planner disruptions, your annihilating glares, that sort of stuff, or just your single-colored bombs. Yep, exactly. All right, just a short list of some cards that get better in sealed here. Also, this one has been impressing in draft. First one on the yeah. list here. Indoctrination attendant, three and a white for the three, four. And when it ETBs, you can return a permanent you control to its owner's hand. And if you do, you get a one, one Phyrexian might token. Card has such good stats. And I don't mean 17 land stats, just like three, four feels great. But it also does have good 17 land stats. I know you don't check those, but I can assure you it does. <laughs> um, I mean, I have this a little later in the show notes, but like, what can't this card do? It picks up one of my favorite play patterns is cast planar disruption earlier. That's like your turn to play on like, I don't know, Rustfine cultivator even. And then by turn four, you're like, I don't actually need this thing locked down anymore. Cool. Let me pick up my removal spell get my one one and now I have my removal spell again for something that matters like just this does so much it picks up your own stuff from under mesmerizing dose or your opponent's planar disruptions rebuys ETB effects if you have them or just pick up a land to get the might this card's great yeah the thing that it can't do is come down before turn four I mean that is yeah. that is the knock against it but in sealed that feels less bad than it does in draft I mean and this card plays well in draft also but I think it's just insanely good in sealed agreed Basilica Shepherd's another one I mean I think most people like this more than I do in draft, but it, it does, again, get way better in sealed. You're much happier paying five mana for a 3-3 flyer, like the 3-3 flyer is good, having the mites around just to threaten attacks, all that stuff is good. Uh, we got Mirren Bardish as well as another five mana white common here. That's the five mana equipment. Uh, it gives equipped creature plus two plus one, and it has uh, a four mirrored in trigger, so it's a four three with vigilance. Um, just really good to have these equipment specifically that boost power and toughness. Like the fact that, yeah, it's a re-equip cost of four but the plus two plus one is relevant like this is hard to not feel like a two for one and sealed yes and then a card like getaxian raptor which again great in draft except it's a little awkward and that it doesn't do what blue is best at doing this is two and a blue for the one for the etbs with three oil counters you can remove an oil counter to give it plus one minus one until end of turn this card is just actively good and sealed it does everything you want to do it slows down the board gums up the board pecks in for damage you know can hit in for one chunk of damage can get its power hide you know punish your opponents trying to push things through with combat tricks just very good and sealed for sure quicksilver fisher another one there's there's a long list of similar type cards here they're just a touch too slow and clunky for draft that start to pull their weight and sealed so quicksilver fisher the five mana four three flyer testament bearer the three and a black four one that when it dies you get to look at three cards put one in your hand the rest into your graveyard something like silvok battle chair and again i know i'm in the minority on that in draft <laughs> but like that or the sky scythe engulfer the six five trample reach and mm. can be blocked by creatures with flying you just have a little more time 
to get to all that stuff and not feel badly about it. I've also been very impressed by the sacrifice lands in sealed much more so than in draft. Like I'm willing to put like three or four of these in my deck in sealed. Whereas in draft, I'm hoping maybe to run one, maybe two in certain archetypes and some archetypes don't want to run them at all. So it sounds like maybe I should walk back my statement from before slightly of saying that sealed and draft, like it's not slower than draft because it sounds like you do have a little bit more time in general. Like you shouldn't expect to always have more time, but you might. Well, I think you just have to do the work to make sure that you get ah, the okay. time, right? Like, it's not that you can't follow. I, I I agree with everything you said. I think you should be following the rules of draft. But when you do follow the rules of draft, like, you just don't have a streamlined of a deck or a streamlined of finishers. So cards like Silvac Battle Chair or Quicksilver Fisher in blue, like, they're just fine cards to play. Whereas in draft, like, certainly Quicksilver Fisher or Mirin Bardish, like, you're a little bummed. I think if you're running those types of cards in your draft decks. Yeah, Bardish may be in the most like synergistic of equipment decks, but otherwise you're like, I'll I'll play this, right? It's like not quite filler, but close. Right. And then a couple other cards that have super impressed the Black Skull Bomb. I've just found that if you follow the rules, the the games tend to play out fairly attrition-y and the Black Mm. Skull Bomb being like rebuy one of your better creatures that's been killed plus draw a card has been excellent. And a lot of times in draft, you don't have the time to use the mode where you rebuy a creature, but you do in sealed and it's it's a big threat on the battlefield. And then Axiom Engraver, excellent in draft, also excellent in sealed. That's the the one in a red rummager um, with the ETBs with two oil counters. That is just got to be the best version of that kind of card we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very close to Scrapwork Mud or whatever, you know? Yeah. Oh, ooh, I love that comparison. Um, all right, I wanted to get into a few updates here about the draft format before we get into our main topic, which is that what I said, the best of one cues have really opened up this past week in, in my experience. I know you haven't been doing a ton of draft, but black is open. And, and someone uh, pointed out to me on Twitter that this might be because there's now quick drafts for this format. And so maybe some folks who are more inclined to, you know, first pick a black removal spell and hold on for dear life have moved over to the quick draft queues. And so black is a little bit more open, but like something that I never thought possible, like wheeling a blight belly rat or first picking an anoint with affliction and not being terrified of that. Those have all happened to me this week. And so that makes the format feel like you can do a lot more now that black isn't as contested. I agree. I've also drafted black much more frequently the last week or week and a half um, in the few drafts that I've done. I will say, though, it is still tough. Like when you're playing in high mythic and you are black, like you are just a bit disadvantaged against the people that were able to draft red green or red white or whatever, you know, like, yes, maybe yes, maybe blue black was the right deck to draft for your seat. And you do that. And like you should like if that's what your seat's supposed to do, you should be doing that, I think. But then when you're playing that blue black deck that, you know, you eked out in a very competitive pod, like you sometimes just get steamrolled by someone that was in a weaker pod that drafted a red green nuts deck. And that that feels kind of bad. And I would certainly acknowledge that that's possible in the format. Yeah, but that's also just possible in any limited format. Like that's the price of the convenience of leagues. Yes, you know? for sure. For sure. For sure. I, I- I also just really want to hammer home the rules of engagement re-mulligans, which, you know, I wrote an article about, we've talked about, you just like to explicitly state, you cannot keep hands on the draw without something that impacts the board on turn one or two. You just can't do it. Like I I played someone, another streamer yesterday, I was on the play, I went one drop, two drop, three drop, their one drop was prosthetic injector, the plus O plus two equipment. 
And their turn two play was a prosthetic injector. And the game ended on turn five. Like, (laughs) you just can't do that. You have to aggressively mulligan in this format. On the play, those kinds of hands, if like, let's say Contagious Vorak is your first play on on the play, I think that's a little bit more acceptable. But like, on the draw, if my first play in my hand is Contagious Vorak, I sadly feel that you have to mulligan those hands. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I would co-sign. All right. I want to talk about Dune Mover. This is this has been a bit of a meme <laughs> this week, and I want to put the memes aside, and I want to talk about your real true feelings about this card. This is the two-mana artifact, two-one, toxic one. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a basic land card, put it on top of your library. So for those of you that don't follow us on the internet or on Twitch, I recently found out that Ethan gets tilted by Dune Mover being called uh, the Golden Egg Award winner, and I, I think it is Pretty close to that, uh, but just to tilt him, I've been calling it the Golden Egg Award winner everywhere on the internet, whether that's Twitch or Twitter or what have you. So if you don't follow us those places, that's what that's where this is stemming from. Uh, so my true unadulterated thoughts with no memes, I think Dune Mover is likely not the Golden Egg winner. I think it is a closer contender than you think it is, I think. But I am with you that Barb Batterfist is likely to win the Golden Egg Award. I think it is leading the polls right now okay uh which is okay. which is one in red for the three one uh the equipment that gives plus one minus one and then you get a two two along with it um but i do think dune mover is good in draft and i think it's great in sealed so we've already kind of talked sealed so let's let's get into it in draft i think a lot of decks want a two mana two one artifact like it feels good taking it early because it's the kind of card that lets you delay the decision and you're still okay playing in your deck i think it's actively good in toxic decks and I think you're willing to play it in other decks. Plus, it's also an artifact for the white, blue or blue, red decks that maybe care about artifacts, ET being. I just think it's at the intersection of a lot of things. And then also randomly sometimes helps you hit land drops or maybe splash if you want to splash or need to splash. And all that, I think, adds up to a card that you're willing to pick, you know, fairly aggressively. And I think you're you're happy to play it. I think I think it's better than, for example, the two mana uh, the one that you can pay two life to tap to add a mana of any color to your mana pool. I think it is better than that card. Interesting. So th- that's one of the cards. So I think that's what Mirror Converter, is that what it's called? Sure, that sounds right. I was very surprised that that card had low stats. It's in like the 53% game in hand win rate range. Because um, I, in my mind, I like the Mirror better than the Dune Mover. I also wish, I have no idea why Dune Mover is not a mirror, just to make that <laughs> the mirror Kinsmith, which we'll talk about in a second, which I've done and I'm not proud of, but you know, sometimes you just need some cards. I agree with like 75% of the things you're saying about Dune Mover. The two things I like push back against are that like, in red green decks, I am not happy with Dune Mover. Like, I agree that in a deck that cares about Toxic, in a deck that cares about Artifacts, fine. Like, it's a serviceable two drop. And the thing you say about, you know, it helps you get your land drops. Maybe you got two Dune Movers, you cut a land even. But I just get so mad about cards. Like, limited players, there's, if there's one thing they love more than anything, it's cutting lands. Like, ooh, can I go to 16 lands? Can I go to 15 lands? <laughs> They see a card like Dune Mover and they think they can, and I think they really shouldn't. Um, and so that you know tilts me a little bit. But uh, but I agree with I agree with what you're saying about it has synergy. And so when it has synergy, whether it's with artifacts or whether it's with toxic, then sure I'm I'm fine with it. And and the splashing part of the land drop part is also there. I just don't think it's quite as gluey as perhaps we would we would think a Golden Egg Award winner should be. I I do think it is. That's why I think it's pretty actually seriously pretty close. Like n- memes aside, I do think it's. Pretty yeah. close. I think Barb Batterfist is ahead, but 
I will say a couple other things to think about, like similar to the effect that Scrapwork Mutt had, like in letting you keep hands, like it feels so every, so every good. card is Scrapwork Mutt now. No, <laughs> but every two drop is a Scrapwork Mutt, apparently. <laughs> no, but this being in your opening hand with two other lands, yeah. like you feel so good about keeping that hand, like knowing that, OK, I'm going to hit my third land drop or if I draw a land off the top and I want to hit my fourth land drop on time, like when you need it to guarantee a land drop and it does that. It's so powerful. And so like the fact that you get a two mana two one, which is a, a functionally relevant card because of the speed of the format, like plus all that other upside, it's just it just does a lot, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. All right, let's chat about Mirror Kinsmith. This is the uh, four mana three one. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a mirror creature card put it into your hand, then shuffle. Have you uh, have you played this card before, Ben? I have done it once. Also not proud. Also never doing it again, which is what I hope you're going to say. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's good, but like, so basically what I wanted to say was I have done this more than once. I'm not proud of it, but I generally do it when I have the, the mirror converter and hopefully I'm doing it when I've got, you know, just an artifact deck. This is generally a, a little package where I've got like the two drop, the three mana, two, three that scries. And then this in an artifact deck where I had to pivot late. That's like the only spot that I'm really like happy with this. And I'm just just like throwing it out there like this isn't so stone unplayable, terrible, but it's pretty close. It's pretty bad. You should not be trying to do that, listeners. <laughs> no, yeah, tr- the word trying is is key there. Don't try to do this, um, but but just be aware that it's available to you. OK, I, I came to an epiphany this week about gulping scrap trap. I think you this came for- to a delusion. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is great. This is great. I'm reading the show notes here. OK, so this is four and a black. For the 4-4, when airs the battlefield or dies, you proliferate. It's Miria's Outrider from Dominaria United, right? Miria's Outrider came in as a 5-mana 4-4 reach. So yeah, Scrap Trap doesn't have reach, but Outrider had domain deal damage to your opponent. So two-color deck deals two, could in a full domain deck deal five. Scrap Trap deals two when it enters the battlefield and two when it leaves the battlefield with that proliferate plus it's adding counters other uh, like adding some oil counters somewhere or maybe it's proliferating a planeswalker huh can i am i selling you you know what we need what i've been i've been re-watching ted lasso in anticipation of season three coming out we need like a couples therapy word where we can say oklahoma and the other person has to like actually tell the truth <laughs> about their opinion of the magic card like no hyperbole inflation at all we just need a we need a safe word this is this is not mary's outrider no it's not but like but the oklahoma i am i am consistently impressed by scrap trap <laughs> i play it in it's not mary's outrider that is not a fair comparison they just it's like but it also just does different things like scrap trap provides reach and we'll talk about like black only does the toxic proliferate thing Scrap Trap as a 4-4 body is big. It providing reach, like one of the problems these black decks have is that they can attack a little bit, get your opponent some amount of poison counters, but they have to get maybe the last like three, four, five from proliferating. And Scrap Trap is such a problem. Like so many times I feel like I've stabilized at seven poison and my opponent plays Scrap Trap and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Because I can't, I have to infinitely chump this thing now. I have to, like, how am I supposed to not die to this thing? I think it's a very good card. I am happy playing any number of copies of these when I'm in black. Right. You also don't have to go out of your way to pick them up or shouldn't. Like, if you're playing black, you should be getting however many gulping scrap traps you want. Yeah? Yes, I agree. But it's just pretty high in my 
pick order for Black's Commons, like Beyond, Anoint, and Blightbelly Rat, it's up there. Ooh, but it's the 3-2 that dies into a 1-1 one, one is way higher than Scrap Trap, right? Yeah, Stinging Hive Master is very good. It, it's, yeah, that's that's certainly higher. So that's number three. All right, Scrap Trap is then up there. Like, But I was not anticipating that I would take Scrap Trap ahead of like Pestilent Siphoner. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely not early in the format. I have Pestilent Siphoner is just not really a card <laughs> in the format. Speaking of other five drops, I'm, I'm going to guess you haven't played this one. Meld Web Strider, this is the five mana, five, five vigilance uh, equipment with crew three, but it comes in with an oil counter and you can remove an oil counter to crew it for the turn. I have not have played, played that yet. Not cast that. Have you faced it at all? I have faced it once and thoroughly savaged it. Okay. So my feeling about this card is that it looks clunky as all get out as ben would say it plays out a lot better than you think because it, it plays like facing the 3-1 indestructible with, with the oil counter at uncommon and white it plays out like facing that because when your opponent has the mana open for that and you don't have a way to blow them out you're like well do i really want to trade my 3-3 for their oil counter and so you just don't and the same thing happens here so you think like oh it only has the one activation but it's much more like threat of activation with that card where like you feel like, well, I don't really want to attack with my four, four. Cause then they just get to trade with their oil counter for my creature. And then it also, because it has vigilance does the thing that you want to do in the format, which is play offense and defense with it. So like you play something that can crew at that turn. Cool. You attack with it, but then you also get to say, I could block with this if I want, because I have the oil counter still on it. I'm not saying like you're going out of your way to, to pick it or anything, but this as a five drop in an artifact matter deck, I think is better than it looks. I'm sold. You had me at threat of activation. Okay. Woo. Wow. I thought that was going to be, I thought that was going to be scrap trap <laughs> 2.0. I thought that was okay. Uh, next card I have on this list is ambulatory edifice. This is the uh, two and a black three, two at uncommon. It's an artifact. When it comes into play, you can pay two life. If you do target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. This card is excellent. I think yeah. this is just one of the, one of the bigger pulls into black, I think for myself at the moment, um, it really, this is maybe the exception to if this is my three drop on the draw, I might even keep that hand because sniping those two mana two ones feels so good with this. Yeah, card's amazing. And as black starts to open up a little bit, like cards like Ambulatory Edifice are way more appealing because you feel like you're going to be able to draft other black cards to go around them and make a functional deck. True. I would add Whisper of the Dross to this list as well. Uh, black for the instant, target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn and proliferate. Every black deck wants multiple copies of Whisperers of the Dross, I think, for the periphery. And also just it is Black's Hexgold Slash. And it's significantly less good than Hexgold Slash, but it's a way for Black to not fall crazy far behind if your opponent is attacking you with X1s. And they probably have some X1s. If they don't, you probably can find ways to leverage Whispers into a card plus a poison counter for one mana, which is very good in this format. Efficiency matters a lot. Yeah, Whisper of the Dross is excellent. I, I totally agree with everything you said. And lastly, I should have put this up in the sealed talk as well. Vraska's Fall, two and a black, instant target player sacrifices a creature and then gets a poison counter. Creature or Planeswalker. Creature or Planeswalker, yes. That's why it should be in the, the sealed portion because there are going to be Planeswalkers running around and having a way to nab your opponent's Planeswalker. Like if, for example, if you don't get any of the single black, destroy a creature or Planeswalker, you would, I think, run a Vraska's Fall. And I think much more appealing in Sealed than in Draft. But I've seen it a ton in Draft. I don't think it's great. 
in draft, but I keep having it played against me and be pretty good, which is making me rethink that stance. Do you have thoughts on Nebraska's fall? My feeling is that it's still in the filler camp for me, but like as a 23rd, 22nd card in black decks that care about poison, like sometimes you just need to start that poison train rolling and Nebraska's fall isn't the worst. It's sort of like, what is it? Infectious inquiry, the draw two, lose two, they get a poison counter, like just a way to get that train rolling or a way to ensure you get the third counter to get them corrupted. Plus you get a little bit of something, something like sometimes it's backbreaking. Sometimes they sacrifice a mite and you're very sad. But like, I think the times where they sacrifice a real thing happen more often than not. Yeah. All right. Secret gold cards, baby. Don't tell anybody. It's a secret. But I think, <laughs> I think that this is so much of what is difficult about navigating drafts in this format is like that sort of thing we talked about a few weeks ago of you think you're getting deeper into a color, but you're really not because the three white cards you have go in three very distinct decks, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I was playing in someone last night that was playing blue. They were blue black. And the first five cards they played against me were like really good, tight, like blue black poison burn cards. And then they lost the game because they played an eye of Malkator into like some other artifact card. Like you just can't do two disparate things like that in the format. Yeah, I I had a note here and I I said this already that I think this is like the most aggressive format we've seen. It's not fastest, right? I don't don't quite know that. And we sort of talked about debunking some of the stats on that last week, but there isn't really any kind of control deck or build around uncommon rare that makes me want to play this late game deck. Like every deck is aggressive in some way, but you've got a different way to frame this. Yeah, I, I don't like thinking about the format as aggressive. And this is where I think I build decks differently than some other people or a lot of people like on deck techs, I frequently find just cards that I don't like playing at all that then are in a deck that looks kind of aggressive, but isn't aggressive enough. So like everything in the format is pushed down on the curve, right? So I like thinking about the format as efficient or compact rather than everything has to be aggressive. So I'm looking for all of my decks and all my cards to be very efficiently costed and efficiently interactive so that if my opponent doesn't follow the rules, like I can be the beatdown and I can, you know, curve out and kill them quite easily without necessarily all of my cards being quote unquote aggressive. And then when they're on the play or when they're the aggressor, I can function as the control because all of my cards are very efficient. So I can still like compete with them in the early turns of the game and then turn the corner. So, for example, something we're going to talk about in red, like I think this example um, of a card really illustrates a card I don't like. So Sawblade Scamp is something that we're going to talk about in red for, you know, has a bunch of different homes. But I think at its core, in addition to, you know, being better in certain homes than others, Sawblade Scamp is primarily an aggressive card, right? It doesn't block very well at all. And it helps you push damage. So if your deck is hyper aggressive, like you can run Sawblade Scamp and be pretty happy with it. But I don't like running hyper aggressive cards or hyper aggressive decks in this format, because then when you're on the draw, like your Sawblade Scamp is pretty embarrassing. And it's hard to like play the control role with a card like Sawblade Scamp when you're on the back foot. So I, I try to avoid cards like that that are primarily aggressive. So I, I think about it in different terms than that, if that makes sense. Yeah, so so because I, I can hear, I can hear the internet bubbling with this question. So how do you rationalize a card like Eye of Malkator then? Uh, that's a good question. I think Eye of Malkator is good enough at beating down. It's even more aggressive than Sawblade Scamp, right? Like the mm-hmm. best defense is a good offense for as a as to steal from chess. 
I think mm-hmm. I have Malkator plays offense so well that you don't have to necessarily play defense. Like I have Malkator clocks so much faster than Sawblade Scamp. It's the same reason I think Pestle and Siphoner just isn't a card in the format because it's a primarily offensive card as a 1-1 flying infect. Terrible at playing defense, but also just clocks significantly less faster than something like Chimney Rabble or I have Malkator or whatever. So you have an offensive card that can't play defense that also isn't the best at offense when there are cards that play offense better and defense better, if that makes sense. And I have Malkator isn't defensive, and I'd be the first person to admit that. Like, it's not great on defense. Yes, you can do the Chrome Prowler thing, whatever. But what what I have Malkator is, is efficient and compact. It's three mana for a 4-4 Scry 2 that scries you two more action and gets your opponent dead in a hurry. Yeah, I, I, I buy it for sure. But I, I wanted to make sure we address that because I think that's like the poster child for, well, it's not defensive. So I wanted to talk about the color identities and the color pairs because I think thinking about those in a very specific way helps you evaluate cards and moves away from making picks that get you deeper into a color. That's something we're always espousing, get deeper into a color, et cetera. Because in, in reality, what you're really trying to do is get deeper into a deck and optimizing a deck in the draft is so like paramount to success in this format. So I initially had the colors ranked in in order of their power level for me, which is red, green, white, blue, black, um, and maybe black even should go up now that it's open. But that's actually not the best way to highlight this because I think starting with white is going to be best for us because this is the color that I think has the greatest range and can suffer the most from split deck personalities. So if we take a look at the white decks, you've got red, white, which can really lean into the equipment theme, depending on what sort of payoffs you have, whether you get Bladehold War Whips, which is the uncommon, that's the 2-2 double striker, or can also just be, I think, certainly the more red you are, can just be good cards. Right. And I think green-white does a similar thing where it can be toxic, right? And I think this is largely dependent on the kinds of payoffs you have. Like, if you have corrupted payoffs, if you have Incisor Glider, if you have the green-white signpost uncommon, if you have Viral Spawning that wants you to be able to flash it back when they're corrupted. Sure, lean into toxic. But this can also just be curve out, beat down, good cards that are good on rate, good removal, etc. Yeah. And then if you move towards black white, there I think you definitely do want to be pretty streamlined. You want your deck to be focused around toxic and corrupting your opponent and taking advantage of those corrupted payoffs. And and, and not blue- by like corrupted payoffs. We don't mean like a two two flying death touch lifelink. That's not what we're talking about. Like the gold uncommon <laughs> no. or yes. turning your anoints into exile anything for two mana. That's what we mean by corrupted payoffs. Exactly. And blue white is artifacts, artifacts, artifacts. I have not seen a blue white deck that is good. That is not artifact based. Have you? I also just haven't seen a blue white deck in a while. I'm really sad. I my I have Malkator was hot and heavy my most drafted common and it is slowly dwindling down because i just haven't been able to get into that deck you don't you don't believe enough that's that's your problem (laughs) that's your problem you don't believe enough more for me then so those are four pretty distinct identities especially if we're thinking of red white could be this like streamlined equipment thing and then green white could be toxic black white definitely toxic blue white definitely artifacts that means there are few cards that are going to slot neatly or evenly into all four of those decks. Yes, I think that is true. So take, for example, Duelist of Deep Faith. So one and a white, two, two, has first strike on your turn and has toxic one. So this is just like a good two drop, right? This is a high pick. I think you got to dig a little deeper, right? So in black, white, this is where it's going to be best. 
It's a fantastic two drop for this deck. Um, going to help you enable corrupted. Going to be really good if you've got incisor gliders to grow them to three threes, whatever. Maybe plays well with the plus two plus two draw card trick, complete devotion, or you know you get them corrupted and you have the single white aura that's giving it plus two plus one in first strike. Whatever. This is going to be a nice little beater in your toxic black white decks. Yeah, and then if you move on to green white, it's going to play well. I think on either axis of that deck, whether you know you're green white caring about toxic or just green white strong cards, Duelist of Deep Faith is a fine card on rate in the format. And I'd say fine as well in red white. Like you just want creatures in that deck. It's it's again got a good rate, kind of evasive on attacks in terms of having first strike. Wears equipment well, right? You know, put a barbed batter fist on it. Now you've got a three one that attacks with first strike. But like it's not. It's maybe just slightly above replacement level in that deck, if not just on replacement level in that deck. Yeah, and then you move over to blue-white, which is artifacts, and it's stone unplayable in blue-white. Like, you should just never put it in a blue-white artifacts deck. And that might sound aggressive. We we truly mean that. Like, if I see Duelist of Deep Faith in your blue-white artifact deck, something has gone wrong. It's not like, well, I just need this for curve. It's like, yeah, but this just does nothing in this deck. You don't care about anything that this card is bringing to the table in that deck. And I think if we go down the list of white commons, we're going to find more and more of this type of stuff. So Incisor Glider is another great one, I think, to dissect. It's one and a white for a 1-3 flyer, artifact creature, and if your opponent's corrupted, when it attacks, it gives all of your creatures plus one, plus one. So if we take a look at it on these axes, black-white, theoretically it belongs in there, and I think you are playing it, but you're not picking it super highly for that deck, right? Ooh, that's interesting. I think this is an excellent card in black-white. That's like, in my mind, that's its best home. Yes, I agree. That's where it is slotted best. But you have to take all of the toxic enablers higher than it. Like, it's almost like it's a reward in my mind. It is a black-white gold card, essentially, that you should be getting if you're supposed to be drafting black-white because you have to spend your high picks on the crawling choruses and the duelists of deep faiths and the like. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's true. But like if I start out with Bladed War Whip, then Crawling Chorus, then Flensing Raptor, and then see Incisor Glider, I'm going to take that. But now I'm like, okay, I don't think these all go in red, white. Like I've got Crawling Chorus, which we can maybe talk about next, which I think goes well basically anywhere. I've got War Whip, which is pulling me towards red, white. Then I've got Raptor and Glider, which are pulling me towards black, white, or green, white toxic. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. But it looks like you're drafting a red, white deck there. But you're you're not necessarily. I'm not. I'm thinking that I, I'm thinking not all four of these cards are going to go in one deck. And yes, I could play Flensing Raptor and I can play Incisor Glider in my red, white deck, right? They're evasive threats. They're That's fine. But where I want to think, especially early in the draft, what's the best home for these cards? And so if that's what I'm thinking about with that four card start, I'm thinking about I'm basically got outs to three of the four decks right now. I could be red, white, black, white, or green, white. Right. Asking yourself that question is what is the best home for these cards and how can I get there? If you're struggling in the format, you should be asking yourself that question like almost every single pick of the draft. Like what homes are available to me and how do I make it back to that home? <laughs> and, and it's why I think Crawling Chorus is so good because Crawling Chorus, you know, if we think of Whisper of the Dross as sort of like a hex gold slash light, Crawling Chorus is basically like that for white, right? It plays, it's what you're you're talking about in terms of it's a very good aggressive card. It also is a really good defensive card, right? If your opponent doesn't want to attack their 
X1s into Crawling Chorus and then leave you with a might that you can attack them with to, you know, press your Corrupted or Toxic or Poison plan. So then it also has synergy with Toxic and Corrupted in Black, White, and Green, White. It also is two bodies for your Red, White equipment decks. And it also dies into an artifact in your Blue, White decks. Like, I think Crawling Chorus just, you know, checks the boxes in all four of the white decks for me. It doesn't in blue white for me. I think you want to be determining when your artifacts are coming down in blue white and it not being controllable when it turns into an artifact is, I think, a knock for me, a huge knock for me. I'm, my best blue white decks would definitely not play Crawling Chorus. I think I agree with you that blue white is Crawling Chorus's worst home. I don't agree with you that I'm sad when Crawling Chorus is in my blue white deck. Okay, that's fair. But but there's so much to discuss with these white cards, right? Beyond planar disruption, Everything has variability, I feel like. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely sliding scales on almost all of the good white commons for what their best homes are. Yeah. So take Mandible Justice CR, for example, as, as another one here. One and a white for the 2-1 with a lifelink. Whenever an artifact ETBs, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. I would argue that you're playing this quite happily in every white deck and that its best home is blue-white. I agree that its best home is blue-white, and I am happy to play it in every white deck except black-white. Because you're so worried about getting your opponent corrupted, toxic? Yeah, I just feel like my black-white decks are all locked up in toxic and corrupted, and a card that's not pulling me in that direction, I think, is actively... It's just like working against the deck's game plan. Like, will I play it? It sounds like I feel about it in black-white the way you feel about Crawling Chorus in blue-white. Yes, I think that is a very accurate description. I also think there's some level there, too, for me. I've played, finally, like the nuts black-white toxic deck, and it's so fun to play (laughs) when you have like three or four Crawling Courses or whatever, and you're just curving out and crushing your opponent's soul. Um, But I also think, similar to what you feel about green-white, where there's just a good cards green and white deck, I also Mm -hmm. think there's just kind of a good cards black-white deck that is much heavier white and has some support Uh, from black. Okay, And I think I'm happy with Mandible just to see her there. I agree you wouldn't want it if you are super focused Corrupted Toxic, but might still play it as a 23rd card or whatever, because the two two power lifelink body is just so good at playing offense and defense in the format. So even moving aside from the nitty gritty of our feelings about this card, just hear that range. Like blue, white, mandible, justiciar is incredible. That is like (laughs) one of the best commons you can get for the blue, white artifacts deck. And now we're talking about it in black, white as a 22nd, 23rd playable. That is such a huge range to be talking about a common. And they're all like that. Well, and I think too, this is where... Like, I think data hurts magic some a little bit or like people are leaning on the data a little yes. too much. And I it's, I, about, I it's about interpreting the data. No, don't play. the data doesn't say anything. The data is just numbers. <laughs> well, sure. how people are interpreting it. And I think I am. I have loudly come out as like being fairly uninterested in the data. And some of my uninterest in the data is because I think people are so interested in the data when if they would spend a little more time thinking critically about things like this, they would get better at magic. Like to me, the data for some folks is like giving a person a fish. And if they would just spend the mental energy and time that they do pouring over the data thinking about things like this, I think they would improve as magic players for future formats a little more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, All right. Other white cards, Gold Warden's Helm. Two and a white for the the two three equipment uh, that you can pay one and a white to move to give something plus o oh, plus one largely filler right and you're basically mm-hmm. only ever playing it in red white and blue white and even then sometimes doesn't make the cut yeah for sure I think that's fair 
And then, like, comparing Bladed Ambassador versus Jawbone Duelist, this is a pick that you have to make in drafts sometimes. The one in a white 3-1 comes with an oil counter, and you can pay one to give it indestructible if you remove an oil counter. And Jawbone Duelist being the 1-1, one, one, double strike, toxic, one. Like, those cards are just similarly powered cards, I think, but totally different decks, right? You want Jawbone Duelist in black, white, and green, white. You want Bladed Ambassador in really only red, white, maybe green, white, good cards. And yeah. you're hoping to play neither of them in blue, white. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's wild. Like they're very good cards if you get them in the right deck, but just again, stone unplayable in blue white. So moving on to green, I think green is close to red in my mind and that it doesn't really care what kind of deck you end up in. It certainly cares more than red. Um, It doesn't do toxic very well. And that's largely because it's only corrupted payoff is the uncommon viral spawning. So if you end up in synergy territory, it's going to be more oil and you've got oil gorger troll at common as like that sort of oil payoff. So if we look at what green's decks are doing, green, white, we talked about above, it's like could be toxic, but could just be good card beat down red, green, you can play as an A plus B oil deck. And I think either one of these is actually really good. Or you can just play red, green, good cards like they're, they're both equally powerful. I don't, I don't know which one of those I would like better if you gave me the choice to play red, green oil or red, green, good stuff. I just think it's important to know which one you're doing because like the more, you know, if you've got oil gorger trolls and Urbrask's anointer and cinder slash ravagers, the more of those top end cards that care about you having oil, then the more you're going to just start being like, am I just taking like Axiom Engraver over Vorak at this point? Because I need things that have counters on them. Well, that seems a little excessive, but you're certainly taking Axiom Engraver over Barb Batterfist, right? Oh, for sure. Well, you might, I think I'd be doing that anyway in these in red green. But like, I don't think it's crazy in pack three to make a pick like that if you've got those top end payoffs. But then if you've got, if you don't, if you've maybe got one oil gorger troll, but you're just playing like, good cards that deck like Vorax and, and Rabbles, like then you don't care about making those kinds of picks. And then you you definitely want Barbed Batter Fist in that spot. Yes. And then as you move towards Black Green, you're most likely to be toxic, but can again just be like good cards, value, proliferating some stuff, doing that sort of thing. But mostly you're you're probably black green toxic. And blue green just just don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> it's it's like I it's the only deck in the format I feel pretty strongly about like, you know, you're going to draft a successful version of this in like one every 50 drafts. I don't know. So I would just say, just don't do it. Yeah. And I don't think there's a lot of situational commons that become better than filler. Um, a lot of the time, like if you think about green's core of commons that are good, I'd say it's Vorak, obviously. And then I think you've got this sort of payoff enabler thing with Rustvine cultivator and oil gorger troll. You've got uh, ruthless predation as the fight spell, and you've got uh, lattice blade mantis as the the four drop that's just really good on rage. But all those cards are just like good, and I think are largely going to be good in the three green decks we're happy to get into, right? Yeah, I mean maybe it depends on how slanted towards toxic your green white and right. your black green decks are, right? I mean you're if you are headed towards toxic, you're not playing lattice blade mantis in those decks, right? Correct, right. You would rather have, you know, something pushing your corrupted or toxic theme in that spot for sure. But I mean, you still might play it. You're probably still playing it over like the two, four menace, right? That's the awkward thing about the toxic decks is that the higher mana value stuff, you have to be so choosy about because they can die to hex gold slash. Right. So let's say you're green, white toxic or your green, black dedicated toxic. Are you playing in your four drop slot? Are you playing plague nurse or are you playing 
a lattice blade mantis. I mean, I'm probably reluctantly playing Plague Nurse. Like if we're talking about a very good streamlined corrupted toxic deck, then yes, I'll, I'll play Plague Nurse. But I'm also terrified of playing Plague Nurse. <laughs> For sure. So a card I want to pick your brain about in green is Rustvine Cultivator. And we've kind of already talked about this card. And I think I've seen the light on it a little bit. But I think it is easy to pigeonhole this as an oil card. So are you just playing this in your green white toxic decks are your black green toxic decks like where is the line for rustvine cultivator for you where you're happy about it because i think you have cast this card many more times than i have i would say largely i'm happy just playing this in any green deck in the most streamlined of you know green white or green black toxic corrupted decks where i have you know uh, a lot of playables and i can afford to cut these cards or i'm making picks you know, that are different than I normally would, where I'm not taking the cultivators. Sure, I can definitely see that world happening. But largely, I'm just happy with this. Like one mana, one, two is a good stat line in the format. Because you have inherent oil synergy in green with oil gorger troll, I like it ramping to your four mana plays and your five mana plays a turn earlier is really good. Like you talked about how important the oil stuff is that comes in with counters. This almost does that. And then when, when it all is said and done, it can wear some equipment, like slap a barbed batter fist on this. Now it's a two one. I, I don't know. I just like Rustvine Cultivator in basically any green deck. I, I hear all that. I'm gonna, I want to dig a little deeper here because something kind of just occurred to me listening to you talk about that. So you're you're saying that like you can do this Rustvine Cultivator Oil Gorger Troll package in green, similar mm-hmm. to like the red good cards package where you're just playing, mm-hmm. you know, Rabbles or Furnace Striders, and they're just great cards on rate. The green versions of that deck are less powerful than the red cards also. And if you're playing like the green Rustvine Cultivator package with Oil Gorger Trolls, just to play devil's advocate here, are you settling for like a, a thing that is still good? but less good than some of the best things that you can do, right? So would you agree that this statement is true or false? I'm curious. I would say that from in my mind, like if I were talking about tiers of things in the format, I would choose to be red good cards and many of the streamlined archetypes before like a green good cards deck, like a a green white good cards or a green red good cards. And not that you like, sometimes that's going to be the right thing to draft in your seat, but that in the power rankings, it is lower than those things. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. Yeah, I just don't really think about that stuff because it doesn't matter because I'm just trying to draft the best thing I see. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Like, it's not great. Like, Rustvine Cultivator Oil Gorger Troll is not close to, I think, the best thing you can do in the format or the best thing you can do in the format at common, let's say. But the fact that that inherent payoff enabler exists in a color and can largely slot into, you know, because I don't think green, white, and black green are as tied to synergy-based things, and certainly red green is not that much either. And if it is, that's the synergy thing it wants to do, which right. is oil. Like I think because all three of those decks can have that package in it, that makes me feel happier about it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I agree with all that. All right, let's talk about blue. I think blue is still misunderstood and is the hardest of the colors to get to work. But if you get it to work... It works really well, I think. And again, I think blue has been more contested lately, and I have not been Mm -hmm. drafting blue hardly at all because when the early first two weeks of the format, you could be reliably wheeling blue artifacts to go in the deck. And when those cards aren't wheeling anymore, it's significantly less appealing to be trying to draft a blue-white artifacts deck. And I think we are at the point where those cards aren't consistently wheeling. Yeah, well, yeah, consistently. I definitely had a draft the other day where like I took, I think, a Cephalopod Sentry and then picked, I was like, there was a Tamiyo's Immobilizer or an Evolved 
adaptive in the next pack. And I was like, ah, I, I shouldn't like lean so hard into this artifacts thing. Like, what if it's not open? I'm going to take the better card. I'm going to take the adaptive. And then a mobilizer wield. <laughs> I was like, this aggression against blue will not stand. Yeah, that that is pretty egregious. But I, I think what I'm doing more now with blue is I'm hedging it and then seeing if stuff wheels. And if stuff doesn't wheel, I'm just like instantly off of it. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. So if we look at blue green, we talked about just never do it. Blue white artifacts, artifacts, artifacts. Blue red, I think, is the the fussiest, right? Because it can either be A plus B oil proliferate, or I think it can be a really good artifact home for the Eye of Malkator deck because you get like, you know, Barbed Batterfist, et cetera. You get to do the four Mirrodin thing. And I don't really think you want overlap between those two. Yes, I agree. Those are two very disparate decks. And I, I want to talk about the oil proliferate blue red version serum core chimera is like the only signpost uncommon that I don't really like speculating on. And it's not because I don't like the blue red deck and I don't like the deck where it goes in. I just think it's not actively that good in the blue red deck. And I've been, I know, I think I'm pretty late to this party, but uh, if there's anyone else out there that, that took a long time to figure out that serum core chimera is a little too slow, it's a little too slow. Yeah, I agree with all that. I, I do not like serum core chimera much. Like you'll play it in blue red it's just a reward rather than a reason to get into the deck whereas a lot of the other signposts on commons if i see them like in the first pack and i don't have a clear direction i'm pretty happy to speculate on them yes absolutely and then the last blue deck is blue black proliferate burn again which wins by poison more often than not and is a very real deck to draft i just think is a tier two deck in the format like even even when it's open like a lot of times you're just kind of struggle to face you know red green decks they just clock faster than you do yeah they're they're the power and toughness rate that they have is a, is a lot higher <laughs> than your little ringy dank poison creatures yes so some blue cards to check out malkator's watcher one in a blue for the one one flying vigilance and when it dies you get to draw a card okay so best home is in the artifacts deck more specifically in the artifacts deck where you have unctus's retrofitter so you can play this on turn two play retrofitter on turn three and now you're attacking with a, a blue sarah angel Yes. And then you're basically never playing it in blue green. You're only playing it in blue red artifacts like you're probably not playing it in blue red oil. And then you're never playing it in blue black proliferate burn unless like it's maybe a 23rd card because you have some Unctus's retrofitters. But I've been there too, like and been like sort of half of a blue black proliferate deck and half of a blue black artifacts deck. I, I just think it's dangerous getting into that split territory. And I also think there could be some folks out there thinking, well, you y'all have talked about how Whisper the Dross and Crawling Chorus do this sort of nice defensive thing against X ones in the format. Doesn't Malkator's Watcher do a similar thing? And it can, but the difference between one and two mana is so huge that I think if you're not banking on the synergy aspect of this card as well, it's going to basically play out as filler in your deck. Right, because the two mana, like those one mana cards let you catch back up on the draw. Malkator's mm-hmm. Watcher doesn't shift that. And then when your opponent plays a 2-2 or a Contagious Vorak, like your yeah. Watcher is just absolutely embarrassing. You're done, yeah. All right, Prologue to Phyresis is up next. This is one and a blue for the instant. Draw a card and your opponent gets a poison counter. This is essentially only blue-black, yes? Yeah, and I think maybe even only some flavors of blue-black. I don't know. Yeah, this is the, the, the Prologue to Phyresis, and I'd even say Bring the Ending are basically only in blue-black, right? This is the, the Bring the Ending is the, the counterspell with the corrupted payoff. Um, 
those that's really the only home for those cards. Like I don't want them. Certainly don't want them in blue white artifacts, right? Blue white. When we say it's blue white artifacts, it's artifacts like all the way down. You have very little room for things that aren't artifacts. I get asked about like mesmerizing dose in that deck a lot. I'm like, I mean, I'll I'll play that card if I absolutely have to. But in blue white, you're getting no proliferate off of that card, right? None of your blue white cards have counters on them basically unless you're playing a mobilizer and so like i'm not happy with that card if i'm not getting any kind of bonus from the proliferate you know right and then let's take something like atmosphere surgeon so this is one of the blue for the two one and whenever you cast a non-creature spell you get to put an oil counter on it and you can remove an oil counter from it to give target creature flying until end of turn okay so best home is this blue red oil proliferate deck and i also think it's fine in blue red artifacts as well like launching an eye of malkator into the air is pretty dang good but i the body is so fragile right two mana two one for this card that you want to be able to stick around to put stuff in the air that only plays on offense it's it plays out clunkier than you think Yeah, it's a blue-red gold card, I would say, and not even good in every blue-red deck. So those three colors, white, green, and blue, I think are the three colors we're thinking about secret gold cards is going to be the most important. Because when we get to red and black, they exist on two ends of the spectrum, with red, I think, being the most open, and so has the least amount of gold cards, and black also being the least open, right? It's so narrow as being solely toxic, toxic, toxic most of the time that none of its cards really feel like they're gold because you also expect them to do their narrow thing a lot of the time. So what's going on with red? So I think as we've talked about, red is super open. You know, red, green, you've got the oil beats, the things we've already talked about, red, white equipment, you've got blue, red spells or artifacts. And then red, black is the last deck that we haven't really talked about. And you're rarely going to end up here, but it is certainly draftable much more than something like blue, green, for example, especially if red is open. Red, black is primarily red's open. You have a lot of good red cards and then you pair black removal with it. It's less sacrifice oriented like that. That's the the playbill, right? Is red, black sacrifice, but it's not really that it's red, good cards with some black removal. And then you also get the char forger, um, the red, right. black, gold card. That's the two, three that comes with the one, one. That's just a very good card. Also, it, it is red, black, good cards, right? And then you're like, you know, you get an oil counter on that. And then all of your black proliferate stuff helps that get to three oil counters. So you can draw a card off of it, etc. But it's just like, it's just as Ben said, red, black, good stuff. It's not trying to do, it can't do toxic. It can't do oil because neither of those colors play in both of those spaces. Um, it's just good cards. So when we talk about a lot of reds, commons, going in any deck. You can go pretty far down the list of, you know, Hex Gold Slash and Furnace Strider and Chimney Rabble and uh, Axiom Engraver and Volt Charge, right? You're just getting lots of red cards that maybe have some slight variability, but largely you're just happy with in any of those four red decks. Right. And then if we dig a little deeper, something like Bladecraft Aspirant, say like two and a red for the two, three with Menace, um, equip costs that equip it cost one less to cast, or one less to equip, and then your equipment also do cost one less to cast. This is essentially a red-white gold card, but maybe you have a lot of bar batter fists, and maybe you've got a couple Volshock splitters, the three and a red, uh, four two in your four drop slot as like your 22nd, 23rd type cards. You can play this in a non-red-white deck, but generally it is a red-white gold card. Yeah, I I agree with that for sure. I mean, we can talk about Sawblade Scamp a little bit. You talked about you're not super happy with that card. I think I'm a little bit more uh, happy with it in some versions. Like 
red, green, I, I talked about the more top end payoffs you have, the more interested in this card you are, except red, green is super awkward because it's so creature heavy, right? Your creature count is often like 15, 16, 17. So then how many ways do you actually have to trigger the scamps? Do you have to pay attention to that? Like blue, red is it's best home for sure, where you get the non-creature stuff, you care about oil counters, and you have ways to proliferate. And then red, white, and black, red, it just doesn't pull its weight. Yes. but And I think even in the blue-red decks, and I agree that is 100% its best home, you need to make sure your blue-red deck is hyper-aggressive if you're running Scamp. Because if it's not hyper-aggressive, I don't think Scamp pulls its weight as a relevant defensive card. And so you really want to be trying hard to make sure you are the aggressor in that instance. Mm -hmm. So some other things I want to pick your brain on in red combat Uh tricks free from flesh. The the single red plus two plus two get two oil counters on the thing and blazing crescendo. The one in red plus three plus one exile a card that you can play until the end of your next turn. I have found that reds cards are good enough that I frequently am not playing either of these cards, but I feel like at the Pro Tour, and it makes sense at the Pro Tour because things were contested a lot more, and so you have to dip towards Free From Fleshes or Blazing Crescendos, but just in the average league draft, if red is open, I don't have room for Free From Fleshes and Blazing Crescendos. I agree about Blazing Crescendo. That is not a card that I I like very much. The the plus three, plus one, as we talked about last week, just doesn't win combat enough for me to feel like it's a true two-for-one when it draws that card. Free from flesh, I like a lot more if I have the cards that have variable power and toughness equal to oil counters, right? When when I have evolving adaptive, free from flesh skyrockets in maybe not in my pick order, but when I'm in that like pick six, pick seven, pick eight range, I'm happy to pick it up and I'm happy to slot it in the deck. You know, when I, you know, you don't like exu- exuberant fuseling that much, but I do. And free from flesh becoming plus four plus two until end of turn and leaving behind two oil counters to keep it plus two plus oh is quite nice so when i have those kinds of cards those uncommons free from flesh is is nice i think yes i agree yeah that's when you're running free from flesh for sure all right what about kadoltha cackler two and a red for the two three trampler and it gets plus x plus oh whenever it attacks equal to the number of oil counters you have on things this is ostensibly a red green, maybe a red blue card. I, again, I just find I don't have room for it in those decks most of the time. Yeah, again, I, I, I it sounds like I, I play it a little bit more often than you, but I'm largely feeling about it the same way because it's not it doesn't go into every red green deck. The more your red green deck is skewing towards just good cards on rate, then the less good Kaldotha Cackler is. But again, it's a sort of snowball thing of like, the more I care about oil counters, then the more I'm playing something like Free From Flesh. And then you know what plays pretty well with, Free from flesh is called Otha Cackler because plus two plus two on a trample creature is really nice. Then it leaves behind that oil counter. And now Cackler's attacking on its own baseline as a three, three, right? It's going to pump itself on future attacks. Right, for sure. I think the tension I've felt with Cackler is that it doesn't have any oil. So the more your deck cares about mm-hmm. oil, like it's not quite a good enough payoff most of the time. And then also isn't an enabler for your other very good payoffs. That's, I think, the tension I've felt with it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Largely when I have the oil matters decks, I'm in search of, you know, I'm counting, I everything makes oil and then I'm like, okay, and I have one Ravager, two Anointers. Ooh, and I also have a Kaldotha Cackler. So I have four payoffs now, you know? Right, yeah. You've got enough other stuff that makes sense. Yeah. All right, moving on to Black. You are primarily, if you're playing Black, all in on Toxic, yeah? Toxic, Toxic, Toxic. I think Black, White is Black's best deck for sure. And then beyond that, it's 
probably black green and blue black and then red black probably being black's worst deck. Do you think so? I think well, I think red is good enough that I think like if you're mm. heavy black, a little bit of red. Yes. But I think if you're heavy red, a little bit of black, I would put that ahead of both black green and blue black, I think. That makes sense. Yeah, I just don't think I, I don't know, maybe I should be ending up in that deck more often. It's just hard because I guess what is black adding to that other than anoints that don't really do a lot, right? Charforger like, is a big ad. Charforger is really good. I love Charforger. Yeah, but like, when am I supposed to? It's so awkward because like, I can't pick it up early and then I don't feel like it wheels. Uh, yeah, I guess it's just wheeled for me. <laughs> that sounds like it's the difference. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with all that. And then some cards. We've talked about Pestle and Siphoner quite a bit. I'm curious to get your take on Scheming Aspirin. This is one in a black mm. for a 1-3. Whenever you proliferate, it drains two, gains two. This is, again, a good payoff, but it also doesn't belong in the blue-black toxic deck, which I think is what blue-black wants to do. I just think Scheming Aspirin is largely homeless. I, th- I think, oh, that's such... that Like, clunky used to be the worst way to describe a magic <laughs> card. I think homeless might be <laughs> the most aggressive way to describe a magic card. But I I think I agree with you. Like it, it doesn't because I, I had a blue black deck early on when I was trying to figure out the archetype with two scheming aspirants and it played out abysmally It went one three. And I was like, oh, man, this deck looked so good on paper. But like uh, what's it called Voidwing hybrid is just, you know, 10 times better as the sort of proliferate payoff because proliferate as a because you don't need a payoff for proliferate. Your payoff for proliferate is get one Damage. poison counter yes. on them, and then you're just killing them with proliferate. Whereas aspirin, yeah, maybe you think, well, it keeps you alive because it's gaining you life and it's a one three body. But like, I, I don't know. I, I agree. It just doesn't quite do the thing. And I think unless I had, I would have to have, I don't know, seven, eight ways to proliferate before I would put this happily in a blue black deck. Yeah. All right. That's a lot of info there. Any <laughs> any overarching thoughts on this like gold color, like one color gold cards type thing or the, the sliding scale metrics we've talked about? I, I just think that this is often a really important thing to do for any format. And one of the things like I talked about with aggressive decks, you know, really learning about aggressive decks through Phyrexia All V1. I think I've learned a lot about evaluating secret gold cards. That's a phrase we've thrown around a lot before, but never had quite the opportunity or the reason to dive into them this specifically. But this comes up every set. There's just they're just not in this multitude. More often, colors play out the way red does here, where it's like, yeah, you know, the top, you know, this handful of commons go well in any deck. And then there's some handful of cards that are more variable. This really like puts a microscope on that. Yes, especially in white, I think, with all the good low cost cards that are playable in a lot of white decks, but certainly have drastically different returns depending on what other cards you surround them with. For sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast if you're heading over there. For any and all purchases or signing up for a TCG Player subscription, please navigate yourself there via our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
I, I have this later in the show notes, but what can't this card do, right? Like, I mean, it, hold on a second. My parents are watching Jonah and he's losing his mind right now. <laughs> I heard that's the first time I've heard, heard a Jonah appearance on the podcast. He's famous. <laughs> 